0: It's Kiki Rai and you're listening to For the... H- oh. Oh. Listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design.
1: Joining Roger from Wow Dogs and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft.
2: Hello and welcome to For the Lore, this is Roger, coming to you on Monday, the 7th of December. And with me, same as usual, we got Joe from WayTheTotem.com, as well as Enrique from Spooncraft.com. Welcome, boys. Um, Nice that you finally decided to pick up that Earl. by the way. It's only been sitting there for how long? How long have you had the WordPress site now? Oh, wait,
3: wait, way too bloody long. Uh, I was lazy.
2: I was really surprised when I actually did the GoDaddy search and saw that it was available. And part of me just felt like... Fucking with you and buying it, <laughs> and just say screw you. I'm oh, buying no. it, and, and then I'm gonna put up like all manner of porn and shit on it, so that when people go to oh Joe from Way of the Totem and have pictures of you and like sheep and stuff like that, photoshopped together, <laughs> it would have been priceless, legendary.
3: The <laughs> time investment that you would have put into that would have made it all would have been worth it. Oh, it would have been it worth it without of a doubt. All the time you put on it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, it would have. It would have been so worth it. And trust me, my finger was on the buy now. But And then when you were like dicking around and taking your time and shit, I'm like, you better hurry. You don't understand. (laughs) There's a lot of angst in me that needs to come out right now. And this is a good target. (laughs) Well, I'm
3: glad I hit the purchase button.
2: Yes, actually, yeah. So everybody now, instead of going to wayofthetotem.wordpress.com, just go wayofthetotem.com. The next step will be to actually get you off of WordPress and get your own goddamn site. But it's I figure all what all a
3: cost thing. It's
2: all about money. Thinking maybe a couple of years now, probably. <laughs> so I don't know what you have always been up to, but I've been uh, back to Dragon Age: Origins. I'd put it aside for a little bit while I was uh, working on Champions Online there, and I just got back into it and again it's i was i i didn't play for a couple of weeks there while i was doing the champions online maybe a week and a half mm-hmm. and you really realize just how much you miss when you go back to it having not completed it once and really wanting to complete it kind of thing it's amazing how addictive that game is i stand by it again the 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 fact that i by now i could have not for lack of a better term, gotten over it kind of thing and just be eh, lost interest and work towards another game and said, no, I got back in and I was suckered back in. It was unbelievable. And I got, to, um, I was taking the, uh, my mage through the dwarven area there where you're looking for the paragon in the, the mines and not to blow anything for you, uh, Rick, cause I know you,
1: you're probably nowhere near that if you've even started yet. No, as a matter of fact, I haven't started. It's it's sitting there. But everybody that I tell is like, "Hey, I got Dragon Age Origins," and they keep giving me these horror stories like, "Get a prenup written up. Don't don't start playing the game until you got all of, you know food supply because you're gonna never stop playing it once you do." I'm kind of like, maybe I don't want to get into it as addictive as it is.
2: Well, it's all in moderation. I mean, like any game, really. It's not like WoW is <laughs> any less addicting if you're in WoW kind of thing. So, But um, anyway, so um, doing the Dwarven area and whatnot, and because I'd been talking to you bastards about the <laughs> uh, the, the freaking son that wants you to kill everybody so he can assume the tr- throne kind of thing, at the last moment, I wanted to see whether or not I'd be allowed to choose Harremont instead of him. And sure enough, even at that the, the end, you can kind of make a choice depending on how you progressed. If you kill the Paragon or not, or, and whatnot, and it was really interesting because right up until the end, um, I was feeling like my choices really had a big impact on where the story was going to go, and you can see it quite clearly. Are you going to kill the Paragon or the Golem? Are you going to who you're going to decide gets it? And and you can see how it has a huge impact on where the story is going to 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 go. So as much as I didn't enjoy the dwarven area, especially because of the fucking load screens, one after another after another, um, I thought it was pretty well done. I mean, the 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 scope of it is pretty pretty epic in nature, um, especially right to the anvil kind of thing. It was very very cool. The only thing that I had a problem with was that, see. I think that, and this is actually for you too, Rick, when you're playing it, what you may Mm want to do, and I don't know if everybody will agree with me, is probably do... What happens is that when you get to a certain point, then you have treaties, essentially, from different factions. And you got to go to them to get them to honour the treaties so that you can get men from them to fight in this war. And so... What happens though is that each one—it's not as simple as saying, "Oh yeah, we'll honor that. Here's some dudes to go fight for you." No, each one has this like epic proportion scale fucking series of quests for you before they'll help you. And none of this bullshit of, "Oh, we'll help you just go kill ten rats." No, 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 no. They got a lot more shit up their sleeve for you. And so,
3: (laughs) that's an understanding. You've
2: got yeah, you got like the dwarves, the elves, and then the the mages do the mages first because once you're in there, A, it's easier. B, the, you get some stat bonuses while you're in there as well. Mm -hmm. There's a room that you go into that I I would assume you can probably bypass it unless it shows up somewhere else, but you can probably bypass it. But if you go through every single room exploring one of them, there's a a demon sloth guy that's going to put you to sleep. And then you're in this sleep area, like this fade area. Um, and it's actually, I thought it was fairly cool. I know that Kiki was saying that she didn't like it, but I actually thought it was fairly cool myself. And you get different forms while you're in there, and it's little puzzles and things like that. Hmm. But um, in there, you're going to find stat bonuses, and that's a, a real bonus early on kind of thing. From there, then you would do the, um, I would suggest the um, the the elves, and then do the dwarves for last.
1: But yeah. the, time the elves, to that's the where dwarves, you ran into the, the werewolves, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and okay. that was not excessively difficult. So, and I did it first. So, if you do it second, you'll have a little bit more experience under your belt as well. A bigger group, more a higher level, so it'll work better. Um, better gear as well. And then, but the the dwarves you want to save for last. I did them second. I can't even imagine doing them first, because it was goddamn hard. Some of those parts, like the brood mother, is in there. Now, you you mm-hmm. probably saw screenshots of this bitch that could. I mean, if she we were the lactates, she'd <laughs> yeah. flood a yeah. city kind of thing. Um, she took me at least a couple dozen tries to finally down her. And it was a pain in the ass. And part of that is your group that you choose to go with kind of thing. And part of it is your questing with Ogryn, who, in my opinion, is a mana-sucking-pain-in-the-ass bitch God damn it. He dies right away. He's fucking useless. But you have to take him with you because unless you're a dwarf. In that case, I don't know if you do or not. But as a human, you, you have to take him with you. And he's a fucking punk. I hate him. But he has to come along and he dies all the goddamn time which makes that encounter that much more difficult because you're either resing this guy or you're only three against her and the waves that come. It's a really, really tough encounter. Once you get past her, though, it gets really interesting. Like when you're doing all the golem shit at the end and whatnot, it's really quite cool. And the whole political structure of the quests of choosing one or another to succeed as king it's really well done. There's a lot of flaws, like the loading screens, but it's actually really well done. Like, Joe, you you did it as a dwarf. Did you actually do it as any of the other races?
3: No, I'm still... I haven't finished the game yet. I'm still doing it on hard mode, and I've actually gone... I haven't completed the dwarfs. That's the last section I'm on right now. Um, I'm just starting it because it even early on... Um, as soon as you start encountering mobs, it's ridiculous. Even a, even saving it for last, it's I'm still getting my ass handed to me routinely. There's just no room to maneuver, and group choice is a really, really, really key when you're doing it on hard mode. So I had to redo my party like you know, five, six times to get the right combo. So. <laughs> yeah, I I yeah, I did it on normal.
2: Yeah, I did on normal, and it was. It was, in all honesty, I'm all for a challenge. I don't want anything handed to me. A lot of this game is easy because it's about the story, not about the difficulty and whatnot. However, mm-hmm. unless you're on hard. If you're on hard, it's just plain fucking hard all the time, pretty much. <laughs> but on normal, you can enjoy the game and it doesn't bitch-slap you all the time. In all honesty, that... The brood mother is way too hard. I don't know if it'd be equally hard if you did it last, like you're saying, if you're doing it on normal as opposed to hard. Maybe it's not as bad then. But it's when you're doing it like literally two dozen times. No, there's you you screwed up. That's that's too hard. Scale it down, kind of thing. Which they just announced uh, they've patched the game and uh, they did say that some of the encounters did get scaled better because they Mm weren't too difficult. I'm wondering if that was one of them, just my luck. They'd fucking patch it after I finish it too. (laughs) (laughs)
3: I'll let you know since I just downloaded the, uh, the update. (laughs)
2: yeah it's uh it's very interesting and again the same kind of thing where i really got suckered in like right away and then i immediately i i couldn't like just put it down i had to head over to the mages tower right away and start messing around in there just to get a feel for that zone because i'd done the other two now and so far i'm enjoying it just as much and it adds a different mechanic to the game as well with the the fade sequences and whatnot so yeah no again i i that game is impressing me so much. It's unbelievable right now.
3: I am thoroughly impressed with the scope of the game as well as just every little, um, all the details that they put into it. And especially with the downloadable content that was available right off the bat, um, the warden's keep and the stone prisoner were fantastic. Um, and they didn't add too much to the game to make the rest of it seem kind of meh but it offered really good alternatives to kind of break up the pace of the main story. Um, The whole thing has just been approached uh, incredibly well. Uh, The storyline behind it is well-constructed. Everything about it is just superb. Um, And next week, uh, when I talk about the actual uh, books about the game, uh, they even do a great job of just framing the entire story for it. Um, It is a complete world, and that's what really blows me away about it. I mean, they have thought about everything in this, and it's really refreshing to see that.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm literally, like we've been joking around, talking about two future shows where we're going to be talking about the year in review and whatnot. I will have to think about it more, but off the top of my head, I'd literally be willing to put this sucker as Game of the Year for me so far. I've been that impressed with it. And in terms of the leap forward that it took in the genre, it to me, that warrants a, a Game of the Year, in my opinion.
3: Uh, and I'm on the same page so far. I mean nothing else this year has really wowed me quite as much as this game has.
1: I'm yeah. gonna have I haven't even played it in in any kind of depth <laughs> and I would have to agree with you guys because the amount of news buzz and the amount of accolades that I've seen throughout the entire year has not been met by anything yeah. at all. This is you know Dragon Age Origin just seems to be sweeping it at this rate. And it kind of helps that they came out this late in the year. you know it's like everybody's getting it's very fresh when people are starting to have these retrospectives. Yeah. You've been still playing a lot of the uh, Left 4 Dead 2? Um, yes, sir. I'm playing Left 4 Dead 2. Wow. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Bioshock, obviously. Did you finish all the campaign for Left 4 Dead 2? Oh, yeah. Every single last one. And the the very final, final, final campaign, the one where you are in New Orleans and you have to cross the bridge, has got to be the most manic fucking thing I've done in my entire <laughs> life.
2: I actually I haven't done all of them yet. I've done the first one, but I haven't gone through the others.
1: It's it's actually pretty cool. It has a legitimate progression, you know. It's you you make your way through. It's very very cool. Like you finish off the one in the mall, you know, leaving a uh, you know, in in the stock car, and then the Dark Carnival, you know, starts with you hitting a traffic jam, you know, leaving your stock car, you know. And then you go on foot the rest of the way. It's it's very very cool. I'm kind of digging it. The very end, though, once you get there, the end of New Orleans when you have to cross that bridge, um, yeah, it's just <laughs> – it's it's the most fun I've had in a first-person shooter, I, I would flat out say. Did you see the uh, video uh, – DP King actually
2: linked me the video for the censored version in Australia comparing it with everywhere else. Did oh, you yeah. get to
1: see that yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised, to be honest with you, because that's something I would honestly uh, – I would expect that from China. You know, but in Australia, and they're, they're um, what else? Oh, no, I know Australia's got recently. some very strict rules for. Yes, censorship. they do. They, they very, parked something very. else. was it? It wasn't Left 4 Dead 2. Aside from Left 4 Dead 2, one game entirely that is just not going to be released over there. Um, there's a lot, actually. I, I mean, yeah, I there's don't know. a number
3: I, of them. I hate to plug another another reviewer, but I mean, of course, Yahtzee, um, who is an Australian uh, reviewer, comments on it all the time of all these wonderful. Yes. Uh, yes. These wonderful games that he'll never get to see unless he leaves the Australia.
1: Yeah, and they have to pay a lot more over there for their games in general. They have to pay like twice as much as we do here, which is kind of that. That kind of blows my mind. But whatever. Um, it's I. I don't get it. They're really. I mean, yeah, I understand you got to censor some things. In Left 4 Dead 2 are pretty, pretty out there. You know, I mean, it's it's a very very visceral game, but. Yeah, I don't know. I I just I I don't understand what the whole big fuss is. Why are they making such a big psychotic deal about it?
2: Well, if you are curious about the games banned, go to uh, Wikipedia and just do a search for Australia banned video games. And like Fifty Cent Bulletproof, we got Dark Sector, Fallout Three, Fear Two, Grand Theft Auto Three. Um, I'm trying to look for the one that I'm quite certain you were talking about. Manhunt That's what it was. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that they made a big stink about it, too. Now, some of these, it's saying banned, but obviously Left 4 Dead 2 is not banned. It just got censored to, to all hell. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was interesting watching the video and seeing the difference in, like... The, the thing is, too, is, like, obviously, like, we're pretty liberal in terms of what our tolerance with games. We obviously also have a different opinion in terms of what is suitable in games and how quite obviously doesn't screw with your mind i've played left 4 dead 2 with my 12 year old beside me now some people may think that's not right and all that but he knows we've talked about this it's pixels on a screen whether somebody is getting their head decapitated or whatever it's it really i don't it doesn't bother me for him to see it because again we're very open about games and we game together and we talk about it and it's what he wants to go into as well and so really I don't have a problem with it so if I and and overall I'm a decent parent I'm not, I'm not a bad I don't beat my kids you know so if I'm willing to to do it like when you're looking at like grown adults here can't play the game like it was actually made which is kind of
1: kind of sad in a way I, I, I kind of agree with you. You know I mean? Your son's old enough, to be honest with you. I lo- that's the way I feel, anyway. I mean, I understand a lot of these parents. I have a, a family member, and she let her son play Halo at, like, age six. And the kid is, was out of his freaking mind. You know, it's, it's very sobering to listen to a seven-and-a-half-year-old talk about decapitation and, and shooting and killing and all those horrible things and whatnot, but... You know that's that's that end of the spectrum. Okay, I, I kind of get that, but letting you know, relative teenagers and adults and wanna not be able to experience that at their own particular you know behest is kind of confusing. I, I don't get it. I don't see what the big deal is. You know they have I bet they have porn in Australia. You know do do they ban that? You know, I bet they have you know violent movies in Australia too. But gaming, whatever. Well, what oh, yes, me it means is we made the big like- point of that.
3: Uh, it just amuses me that they ban violent games in their country founded by thieves and cutthroats. But I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> you, had to, you had to stick that dig out there But it's a US. very nice country.
3: It, it, you know, yeah. it is. It's, it's pretty. It's nice. But I just wanted to say that. You know, get it out of the
2: way. All right. Moving on from there. Joe, did you pick up our games?
3: Which ones? Are you what do talking about which the- ones? Yeah. No. Are you talking about the uh, Star Trek? Yes. Yes. Or even pre order. <laughs>
2: <a day. laughs> Dude, we pre-ordered <laughs> the collector's editions of Star Trek Online. They were announced a couple of days ago. The um, The collector's editions have some fairly nice bonuses to them. And so Joe and I actually ordered ourselves a couple of copies at um, Game Spot. GameStop. Was it not? GameStop. GameStop. Yeah. And so, yes. I'm so happy because there is a lot of really good shit in here. I'm actually pulling it up right now. Bear with me. Um, and there's actually the bonuses as well if you pre-ordered from them. Excuse me. So the... Um, hold on one second here. Let me pull this shit up. Must be nice of money. The collectors... Oh, it is actually. <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie to you it is the um, the collector's edition had the extra um, uniforms which is kind of nice cuz I don't know if this is something that you had thought about Joe because when I was looking at the the available uniforms like the game is going to be very cool in a lot of different regards in terms of obviously the scope of the universe the planets that you can go on all of the different quests and all that shit it's the scope of it is massive. But then when you're looking at it in terms of your ship and your bridge officers, I mean, there's going to be certain limitations and something that you're going to be looking at all the time when you're playing kind of thing, the interior and, and your, your crew members and whatnot. And it sounds somewhat ridiculous, but I actually was fairly excited when I read about the, the different uniforms that they're bringing in. So you can have the uniforms from, um, the next generation as well as Deep Space Nine if you get the collectors. I don't know if that's something you actually gave a rat's ass about, Joe.
3: I actually do. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Deep Space Nine, as a matter of fact, but as far as the next generation goes, uh, yeah, I absolutely adore the idea. Now, my question is going to be whether or not I can mix and match them because I really want a bunch of red shirts running around in uh, Deep Space Nine so when I send them on away missions, I can make them die. Um, <laughs> but I am—I was really excited by just the everything that they've put into this. Every, every little cookie and it was cool to have that sort of level of customizability right out of the bat for having a collector's edition. it's like okay here's some extra cookies for you have a nice day and uh i'm really excited um the whole thing everything that i've seen about it uh, and just everything they're adding in i'm 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 giddy
2: well the the uniforms for deep space now again i really am not a huge star trek fanatic i never was but i did watch the next generation that came out when i was at an age where i really actually enjoyed it a lot um and i tried to watch deep space 9 afterwards and i really just couldn't get into it that being said though the uniforms are fucking cool <laughs> so that's all i care about the uniforms <laughs> are coming with this i'm good and they are really freaking cool looking and then like the the, the book is all well and good I'm, that's it'll be nice to look through kind of thing and the the little communicator which every time I play, <laughs> if we're on vent, I'm going to have my little communicator on and I'm going to be like, beep, and then I'm going to say what I have to say and a beep every freaking time. Beep. I don't care if it makes a sound or not. I'll be making the beeps out because it's just too cool. And um, and then there's the free passes and whatnot. So those, those are all kind of, they're very cool. The pre-order bonus of the ship,
3: the mm, Starfleet Constitution
2: class. class.
3: Oh, Constitution uh, class, yeah. No,
2: Constitution And with blue phaser, laser, things, (laughs) it's kind of cool. Plus the extra engineering station mod slot, which is going to be kind of cool too, because the slots are going to be, um, in much the same way that in an RPG, you have your equippable slots for your gear and whatnot. Here you have your equippable slots for your ship. So to have a ship that has an extra one, that actually means something. That's going to be pretty freaking cool. Um, so again, I, I, I'm I, a sucker for collector's editions. I really am. And I've, I'm really glad they're starting to, the trend we're in, they are paying a lot more attention to online content or in-game content, I should say, versus just the extra books and, you know, soundtracks and shit that get stored away and you never look at them again afterwards. So like the the extra stuff from the, the collectors as well as the pre order in this are just, well, we bought it immediately.
3: It just it meant that much, and yeah, it's it's sort of um, I don't know, refreshing. I can't think would be the best word for it to see that attention to the online detail and like you said with the the equipable slots and having us give give us something that that matters. I think that's pretty cool. I don't know. I'm I'm excited. I really don't know what else to say about it aside from I can't wait to see fleet action. Um, I can't wait to see the away missions i can't wait to get my hands on it i really 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 can't i just want my hands on it like right now i want to play it i want to like fly through space and like blow something up and like well, you know i on green women keep, keep we're gonna past, be
2: so. we're gonna be able to play in the beta too because that's yes, another thing too when you pre-order you get the definite beta that you can get in so it's a win-win before we get into a little bit more of the news though for anybody listening okay The Star Trek Online, if you pre-order on Amazon.com, you get the Borg Bridge Officer. Now, I've not hidden my love here of getting my hands on this. If anyone would like to advertise on For the Lore, all it will cost you is a Borg Bridge Officer. And I will give you a month's worth of advertising on the show, which is pretty cheap considering the game is only $46.99 a month's free advertising and you could even have the game. I just want the code. <laughs> if you're interested, email for the lore at gmail.com cuz I am quite serious here. I want that Borg Bridge Officer so badly. It's unbelievable because again, the more I've read about the game, I really like the dynamics and how different it's going to be than regular games your bridge officers actually are going to make a difference they are going to have special abilities that are going to allow you to do different things and then you can have different bridge officers for your bridge as opposed to your away missions it's just too freaking cool i want that borg one so again free advertising for a month contact me people and if there's more people that are interested than just one i'd be willing to do three one for Joe, and if Rick was willing as well. So we can do lots of advertising. We're getting tons of people downloading the podcast right now because of recent interviews we've had. Now's the time, people. Do it. Do yes. it. So there's a lot of new things that have been said about the game as well like i mean it's getting some hands-on previews as well which is allowing us to get some descriptions of gameplay that uh from people that are allowed to talk about it i mean there's people who are in the closed beta right now but because of the the nda they can't really talk about it but there's some hands-on previews that have come out talking about the dynamics of the game that again are blowing me away i don't know if you got a chance to read through that
3: i did i got a chance to really look through some of the hand-on previews and Uh, the response from the gamers is really what's getting to me. And these are not necessarily um, Star Trek fans. Uh, These are a lot of these are just gamer people. And um, when they're giving us their sort of what they can disclose, what they're allowed to disclose, there's excitement there. Um, But I mean, the way that they talk about everything from the way that your ship is going to be um, combined into different, uh, what did they say? They said there was four different modes of experience um, there's different ways to experience the game. There's away missions. Um, there's uh, space sector, which is where you're flying around. Um, there's interacting on the inside of your ship. Um, and then there's when your ship comes out of warp and into tactical space. And I think that's pretty cool that they're they're giving attention to all four of those things because all four of those things are something very important to any sort of Star Trek, um, f- for lack of a better term, movie, show, game, anything at all, it's you need to pay attention to that. and uh, I think that what they're showing us so far is 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 really really really, really good. Um, I don't really have much else to say on the rest of it. so what do you think so far about the uh, what you've seen?
2: well, one of the other things we got to see as well too is where they were talking about the fleet actions, which really kind of i found Really cool. Like it's basically the equivalent of your 40 man raid damn near kind of thing where you are coordinating with all of the other captains of their ships uh, towards a common goal kind of thing. And you can just happen upon one of these. If there's something going on, they're going to be announcing it. So you could be just basically flying around. They're going to announce that there's something going on in whatever quadrant or however they refer to it in the Star Trek world. And then you can just go over and take part in this fleet action which is very very cool which allows you to then be a part of essentially a raid without all the clusterfuck bullshit beforehand kind of thing you just go in you work together as a team and go from there again way freaking cool
3: i was digging also the uh, the character customization too that they were talking about as well um they were talking about from an aesthetic point of view um you pretty much are given uh free reign almost uh, you can create a very unique feel for your character. Um, when we were talking with Bill last week, he was mentioning that they're talking about uh, making your own race. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. I also thought it was pretty cool how they're, they're uh, dividing everything into archetypes. And I think archetypes is the best way to go for it because you have um, three basic for lack of a better term, schools of, of officership. You have your tactical, your engineering, and your science. And uh, each one of them has sub-careers in them, which is cool, which allows further specialization of your character. Um, so when you get your, your tactical officer or your tactical character, you can either have your soldier, which is really good at doing damage, your security, um, which is more or less a tank, or special ops, which is stealth, um, which is cool because it allows you to customize the specialty of your ship through your officer in that regard. Um, For engineers, you get a technician, which is buff-debuff monkeys. Uh, Fabrication, which is pretty much like minions and turrets. Uh, And you have combat, which are like field generals, essentially. They can manipulate the battlefield and move things around and help coordinate and give bonuses to that, from my understanding. Uh, The last one, scientists. You can do researcher, which is like emitters and group buffs and debuffs. Um, Your scientists, which is individual buffs and debuffs. And medical, obviously your healers, you want to be, you know... Dr. Crusher flying in space, you can. Um, And the way that they have it broken down into ranks instead of levels, um, that's pretty cool as well. I I think that they're approaching it in such a way that um, you don't feel like a traditional MMO. You don't really feel like you're grinding or that you're... Um, have to get a next piece of loot because your character has a specialization. Your ship has a specialization. And what you do is you just, you fit it for it. You can retrofit it. You can bring it back. You can equip slots to it to, to make it better at what it does. And then when you go into these raid actions, you can add uh, a huge buff to your fleet and anything near you. And when you go on away missions, your character, if he goes with, um, will give the the characters around it um, fantastic Abilities and buffs and things like that. And and it's cool because it's dynamic. It's completely and totally dynamic. And that's what I really love about it.
2: Well, the thing that I'm very curious about as well is how it's going to work in terms of grouping up. So it's quite obvious that you and I are going to be playing. Um, Oh, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how we can do episodic quests together kind of thing and if we choose because you're 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 going to be able to have more ships kind of thing so if for specific quests you need to take one that's more uh dps oriented and then i can take one that's more science or or medical oriented so that you know we can work together it's going to be very different dynamics than your typical mmo groups
3: kind of thing it's going to be very cool to see how it works in terms of ships working together and I think that's what excites me about it the most is just because there's still this level of unknown about it, and I can't wait to see how things interact. I can't wait to see how players are able to group up. When um, we were talking with Bill last week, he mentioned how uh, Champions Online has... Um, When you join somebody in on a quest, there are things to bring you up to either different prerequisites to do the quest as well or allow you to go back into the quest. I'm wondering if they're going to do the same thing with the episodes, like, you know, sort of like a a guest star for the episode um, where you can either do uh, a quick prereq to bring you up to speed to help somebody else out. um, Or if you can do the quest again to help somebody else out by being brought in as, you know— The Berman and Braga approach, where you get to travel through time and go back, maybe. But I mean, I don't know. I'm just, there's so much unknown. It makes me excited.
2: Yeah, some of what I actually read was about the grouping and whatnot, the group dynamics and how you'll be able to help each other on quests. Um, or if you're if you're just working on a quest in an area and somebody else happens to be there working on the quest as well, you can work together. Kind of like just meeting somebody in Stranglethorn Vale and working to work together to slaughter a shitload of, of tigers kind of thing. So, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they work it together. They were also talking about... Um, how they're taking the design of the the game and that IP and changing it. And like, especially in terms of the Borg, they were talking about how they've changed the the way that the Borg are simply because it's past that time now that we know them. And so they couldn't make them the, the end-all be-all force that they were in the movies kind of thing, but they can still make them very dangerous and they change the way that they look and everything else. So they're taking... Not necessarily taking chances, they're taking liberties with the IP, but in a very progressive manner that if another movie, say, were being made, you could see it following that same kind of progression. So,
3: sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and yeah, I'm I'm just looking forward to see how the progression plays out, really, ultimately, (laughs) because that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's from getting from point A to point B. Oh, I can't do it. I can't wait. I
2: seriously, I can't wait. I'm already thinking about it in terms of okay, well, I'm obviously going to play the, the the Federation, but I do want that you know Klingon bird of prey alt kind of thing that I can play just to do those quest lines as well because it's obviously going to be way way different from obviously the Federation. There's going to be a lot of shit happening that would be nothing alike from the from one to the other. So moving on from there, we've got, uh, there was also a really good interview with Blaine Christine from uh, BioWare in regards to Star Trek, the, or sorry, Star Wars The Old Republic, which talked about the game in terms of, well, same kind of thing, questing together, what that's going to be like, um, as well as how it's going to be to go at it alone, because you're going to have an NPC that's going to be part of your team when you go as well. The mechanic for the groups is going to be somewhat similar to Dragon Age Origins, although you're only going to have one person in your your party that you can quest with. And then when you are questing with somebody else, they can have one as well. And he was saying how it's going to be much easier than wherein you can have a very quick party where if nobody has, say, a healer, nobody's a healer, you can bring your companion, one of your companions that has to happens to be healer into your group which is then going to help you it was a very very cool interview i don't know if you guys had a chance to check it out
3: i was uh particularly intrigued by the companion system i'll be perfectly honest um, I like the idea that two people can bring a healer type companion and get a bonus to healing for the entire group. Um, and then it allows you to do certain things without having to fish around in a looking for group channel, like, uh, looking for tank, looking for healer. Um, and you can just go and do the quests. Um, I also like the fact that they're adding, uh, diversity. They're adding specialization trees to the classes as well. Um, I don't know if you caught that one. Um, I yeah. was posted earlier in the week. Did you see the, did you see the link about the smugglers? Yeah, I thought that was actually pretty cool. That I thought was interesting, too.
2: Yeah, so you can... What I kind of liked was that how they tied it into some measure... Well, they created their own lore for it so that it actually made sense. Because really, a smuggler that's a healer, first instinct is like, give me a break. They made it work. I don't know if you found the same, but I certainly found it
3: worked. I did, too. and And as somebody who's read a lot of the books, too, like, I mean some of my favorite books like the, the Cestus Deception and the Shatterpoint um, which are newer books they dealt with that too like I mean what the hell is a scoundrel going to do I'm a wanted criminal by technically both sides what the hell am I going to I can't go to a regular doctor they're just going to Throw me in. Ah, uh, well, shit. Time to get dirty and get my arm. You know, my hands up to my elbows and somebody and pull out some bullets. And I like the fact that they they did they took that idea that's been around a little bit in the books and said fuck it, we're making it canon. And they did, and it works. It works really well with the character, and yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it because it, it it adds a special flavor to the smuggler class. Oh, big time. And it also makes it so that.
2: Not all smugglers are going to be this spec, not all Jedi are going to be this spec and so forth and so forth, which is what the problem was looking like it was going to be. When you look at they, they had so few classes um, to choose from, well, you're thinking, OK, there's going to be a lot of cookie cutter classes here. But if they're opening it up this much, like, I mean, you're going to have a very wide variety of different classes
3: here, which is fairly cool. Well, not only that, but there's a large incentive now to play both sides. Like we were talking about the Imperial Agent. Why would you want to play anything else? Well, now you're starting to see where they're fleshing out where you kind of do. There's a reason to play all the classes. There's something that will appeal to everybody for both sides, both factions. And I think that's really important as well, too, because um, I don't know. I played Galaxies. I don't know if you played Galaxies. Mm -hmm. Nope. Uh Okay, galaxies was horribly fucking imbalanced. Um, oh yeah, I mean, it, it was. <laughs> which totally is why once I didn't it. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, if you were a bounty hunter back then, and you were a Jedi hunter, if you killed a Jedi three times at range, which is Jedi could do nothing about, his Jedi was gone. He had to re-roll an entire new character and wait again. Um, it was what? horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah, the permanent death system. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. It was fucking horrible. And that's, I think, what a lot of people have been waiting with bated breath to, to see if it was going to be that horribly imbalanced with uh, Star Wars uh, you know, Old Republic. And it's not. I mean, they're really taking pains to, to balance everything out and give um, everybody a, a chance to play their characters in different specializations. So you're not having an army of Jedi running around because everybody wants to be a fucking Jedi and an army of... You know, bounty hunters that are specialized to kill Jedi, just to be dicks and kill Jedi. You have a reason to play every single class, not just a Jedi, not
1: just a bounty hunter. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, the... No, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say that that actually sounds like a pretty damn good idea because I would love to be a bounty hunter that just specializes in killing Jedi, just to be a dick and kill those uh, those little thirteen year old Jedi's. Oh, you be. Just the... me.
3: You'd be the asshole that uh, my friend calls me at three o'clock in the morning and is like, "Dude, I have my Jedi's gone. What? My, my Jedi's <laughs> gone. He died, he, he died three times. The guy corpse camped me. I, I, I'm not a Jedi anymore. After 120 hours
1: of play to unlock it. <sighs>
3: Just saying. Yes, the, no, that's no, called the, teaching
1: the developers. You. Know, <laughs> <name it. laughs> Yeah, I'm not,
2: I'm not so sure that's what they're calling it right now. <laughs> no, Galaxies was terrible. I heard too much about it. Uh, actually, the, the first podcast that I did, the buddy that I did it with, Sean, played Galaxies, and I got to hear all about it from him. And I seriously, it was because of that that I chose not to play it. I just would not put myself. I like myself enough that I'm not going to put myself <laughs> through that shit. But it's interesting because the more that I'm hearing about um, the Old Republic, it's funny because my son and I, my youngest and I, have pretty much decided we're buying two copies. And we're playing together. Um, much like we did with the Burning Crusade, we're going to do that now with this game. And we cannot wait to play it. Well, what's funny is that um, about a month ago, we were almost pretty sure of what we were going to play. And, and no, they hadn't yet announced all of the classes, but it was like, okay, no, this would be fun, and this would be fun, and, and there you go kind of thing. And there really wasn't much point to look at the smuggler race that, or class that much, and things like that. But the more they keep announcing about the 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 classes and how interesting it's going to be now, regardless of what you pick. We literally were sitting down after the last video and we're shooting the shit, looking at the different classes and we're going, "Well, what do you want to play?" And my son's going, "Well, that's interesting. That looks cool. That looks cool. That looks cool." It's like <laughs> we could easily roll like five or six alts and have a blast. And the thing too is that you can have again two characters that are the same class just different specializations that will play completely differently. And knowing now what we know from Dragon Age Origins, we can have the same class, same special same specialization, just choose our path differently, be a good guy on one and an asshole on another, and boom, different game again. Like the the and the fact that it's an MMO versus the standalone RPG that Dragon Age Origins Online is leads me to believe that it's going to be that much more expansive as well.
3: And see, and that's one thing you, you touched on real quick there that I'm really curious about that. I mean, we've, we've heard about the moral system and the ability of, like, a Sith to, to be raised back up to good and a Jedi able to become, you know, a dark Jedi essentially over time through choices that you make, quests that you do, and NPCs you kill. I'm wondering how that's going to work um, because I've always been curious about that. And, and I'll be honest, since, you know, playing wow, it's like, what if I have a gnome that just really fucking got tired of being punted by everybody else in the Alliance and just wanted to kill them and joined up with, like, you know, the Horde, you know, you can't do that there, but here, you're, technically you can, and I'm kind of wondering how they're going to handle that switch when you when you fall so far out of favor with one faction and in favor with the other faction, how your character is going to change over, and I'm a little, I don't know, I want to see how that It will be done, It will, it will, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see that, because that's such an interesting idea. And that's something that uh, a lot of us have been always looking at in games like, well, why can't I just, you know, kill him and go join them? I want to see how they implement it. I really, 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 really do.
2: Yeah, well, again, see, as I'm playing Dragon Age Origins, I've said before, I really want to make a Blood Mage as well. But I'm so wrapped in the story right now of my good mage that I want to finish that first. But I will go back and do the, the Blood Mage. But looking at... Um, The Old Republic, I am looking much more at I am definitely going to have an alt. I'm going to have to just because yep. I really want to experience as much as I can in the game and for some reason I'm thinking more so than any other MMO I'm going to get my money's worth out of this because again not just the consequence and, and, and whatnot but just like Sammy said in the chat room as well too the Old Republic is going to have how your, your choices are actually going to affect what skills you get as well which from there changes your gameplay as well. Like the, the amount of of branching off where we're going to get in this game. If it comes off as what they're announcing is going to be absolutely amazing. The replay value in this game is going to blow everybody's mind.
3: I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I, think, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was waiting for Rick to pipe up, but I think we put him to sleep.
1: No, no. I'm, yeah. I'm actually, while you guys are talking about this, because I haven't been following as closely as you guys have been otherwise distracted, but... What's the biggest difference, because maybe you guys will be able to answer for me and anybody else wondering, between a Jedi Consular and a Jedi Knight as far as roles in the game as a playable class? Not just, you know, we're talking about the story and the lore, but really, you know, you have range. two different kinds of Jedi. ranged and melee, melee versus huh? range, yeah
3: one specializes in long range combat um, Jedi counselors. Um, these are your healers. These are your, you know, offensive spell casters. Um, your Jedi Knights are your commanders, your frontliners, your generals. These are the guys that go right in there with their lightsaber. And I mean, it's Mace Windu versus, I mean, if you watch the movies, Mace Windu is a knight. I mean, he's a knight pure and simple. Um, you know, whereas like Obi-Wan later on was more of a, uh, a counselor. So I mean, right. it's like Mace Windu sort of would go in and flip around and augment himself with the force and you know become in tune with everything around him and raise his combat senses and reflexes and rape shit with lightsabers. And the counselor would be like, "Yeah, fuck this, I'm just going to throw a rock at you. Oh, by the way, the rock is a mountain. Have a nice day. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's really the difference between the two.
2: But what okay. they're doing as well, which is very interesting, is that they're going to have separate quest lines as well. They're also going to be treated differently in the game because of their their class so even though you're kind of both jedi you because of the differences from one to the other you're really going to experience the game differently that's something they did mention in that video
3: and and that excites me as well too because you're going to see different flavors of jedi rolling around instead of just the lightsaber swinging i'm going to run in screaming with my head off you know type thing right
1: so so you're going to have a bruiser with the heavy armor that's your jedi knight basically and then you're going to have your console which is your finesse your Caster a little bit more fragile, as it were, you know, more caster type, right? More or less. Alright, very cool. I-, I can get behind that. Oh, oh, baby, baby, baby. H is a H is A. That's
0: the anthem, get your hands, hands up
2: Oh, oh.
0: H to the to the oh his that's the to the to the that's the anthem, to the to the his a. to the to the to the his a. that's the to H- <Cibberish> that. the to the his to the I was, I was, I was, I I was, I was, I was, I was,
3: I was, I was, I I was, I was, my I was,
2: all right. And we're back with for the lore. Thank you for holding as we took our little beverage break. And we do appreciate it. We're back with some wow news, which we haven't really covered that much lately. However, patch 3.3 is supposedly going to be dropping tomorrow. If you're actually downloading the podcast on Wednesday, then it should have downloaded by now. But for us on Monday, we're looking
1: at probably tomorrow. Ricky, you were talking about this earlier. Yeah, everybody's, it's one of those things where it's unofficial, but WoW.com is saying it, and Mo Champions are saying it, I'm saying it, everybody and their mother's like, sources are saying that it's going to be out tomorrow, as long as, you know, we get past some verification issue bug on the servers, and, yeah, but it's like, there's nothing official yet, because obviously Blizzard will never, you know, set up with that expectation, but whatever. It's supposed to come out tomorrow, I expect it to be out tomorrow. And... Go ahead, Joe. I know you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I fully expect it to hit tomorrow, and I fully expect every single server to be a crying mess, just like when Aldoir came out, just like when uh, Trial of the Crusader came out, but probably more so now um, because uh, Patch 3.3 has been getting a lot of attention just based on content. Um I mean, aside from Cataclysm, we're getting to see a lore-defining moment uh, in the form of an instance being brought to us. Um, And a lot of people are really, 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 really getting excited about it. And I know a lot of people are waiting. A lot of people have reactivated their accounts. I mean, in my guild alone, I've seen probably ten ghosts of the past come up out of nowhere. People that have stopped playing months and months and months ago, they're like, dude, fucking Ice Crown! I'm going to totally be there. You know, so uh, it's... I expect it to hit tomorrow, but I expect it to be a biggest clusterfuck ever.
1: Oh, of course it's going to be the biggest clusterfuck ever. That, that's that been, that's been a, a freaking par for the course with Blizzard since their inception with the World of Warcraft, but yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. People are coming out the woodworks and shit, just like a lot of ghosts are popping back in. One of the biggest motivators other than Cataclysm and all that shit for me to actually reactivate my account was when I started really reading back into the Ice Crown lore that's coming out and these five mans and the way that that whole story is going to go. And it, really peeled back to where I was a couple of months ago which was just it it made me remember how much I really fucking love the story of WoW. And the other cool thing and and Sammy
3: touched about it here too but I mean he did it in kind of a negative way because Sam seems to be negative just like Mr. Pink. Um, Basically you're not just getting your story straight from the raid itself I mean the five mans the quests everything that's surrounding the release of it Um, will give you the story. And as people progress through, this is my understanding at least, as the raid content opens up, um, as one more chamber is unlocked there's going to be npc chatter there's going to be things in game to tell you about it and tell you what's going on and uh things like that now yes i understand that some of it is you know it has to be raid centric because they need people they want people to raid they want people to have end game content they want people to have reasons to do it um and ice Crown, honestly is the the perfect place to really do it uh i mean they've they've gone so far is improving a lot of game mechanics for it as well like Um, The loot system, the loot system for the tier nine was fucking shit. If any of the game developers from Blizzard happen to listen to this podcast, which I don't know why they would, but if they do, um, yeah, good move on not complete or going with the tier nine model. That was shit. The new one is actually pretty interesting. You buy uh, units with badges and you get upgrade components from boss drops, which is cool um makes it a lot more logical a lot more even even paced so you don't have uh 10 different tiers of shit for one tier to get um the bosses are cool and comical did you see the i don't know if you guys have been following did you see the professor fonsworth boss yeah
1: professor uh pew something or whatever professor putricide uh yeah that is hilarious dude it's fucking awesome yeah, there's a lot of
3: tongue in cheek in the uh, the instance as well, which is good to see and humor infused back into it. Because after Trial of the Crusader, I mean, Trial of the Crusader damn near made me quit the game. I'll be perfectly honest, I fucking hate that zone. I hate that raid so much. I think it's pure shit. There's no trash. You sit in one place. You wait for bosses to come at you. If I wanted to do that shit, I'd go load up like some old school fucking RPG on my, uh, you know, Super Nintendo where I sit in one place and just things come at me. Um, so yeah I'm I'm excited for that. I'm also excited because of the legendary changing lore that's coming out as well. Um, I, I made a post about this on Maticus uh, the return of the truly legendary legendaries and I stand by it I think that there's a lot of excitement coming back in the game I mean with Valnier there was a huge there's a huge story behind it there's a huge lore behind it there's a lot of push I mean owning it feels epic it's the same thing with Shadowmourne. owning it is going to feel epic and that item is going to change you know a big big chunk of the story for the game so I don't you know, know what, though? what
2: I mean. I'm, I'm gonna take one second here and I'm actually going to take Sammy's side here because somebody has to speak for the poor boy. And what he's saying is true in terms of you shouldn't have to sacrifice your life essentially to be able to experience this lore. Now you're saying yeah but you'll be able to there'll be some changing things and and you'll be able to listen to NPCs talking about how things have changed. The fuck I want to stand on a corner and listen to an NPC talking about the changes? No, I want to experience it. And the the thing that pisses me off about WOW right now is that yes it is an an unbelievably rich lore it is fantastic lore I actually, um, my youngest picked up the the WoW comics, the the, the hardcover trade paperback from the library and brought it home. So I got to read the first seven issues of the World of Warcraft comic book. And I never picked it up before because, quite frankly, they're too freaking expensive to buy. Mm -hmm. But the trade paperback was at the library, so he brought it home. and, And I devoured it, as did he. Like, we read it literally in a day, all seven issues, and it was like could not get enough, and now I can't wait to read the rest. The lore is fantastic. They've created this amazing world, um, universe, that there's so much potential there for amazing, fantastic lore. And yet, the only way you can experience that in game to its full potential is if you're willing to donate all your evenings to raiding or gearing up or getting enough mats for your 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 pots your flasks your this your that and so somebody who can just appreciate the lore and want to really be a part of it can't I, I I am not willing to devote all of my time only to one game because I have a big family, I work full time, and my gaming time is restricted within reason. And I want to play other games. So I'm not just going to put all of my time on this game so that I can experience that lore, but you would have to. And to me, that's one of the big failings right now. There's a difference between wanting... Raiders and hardcore players to experience something different and extra from regular players, but to make it so that a large portion of that fantastic lore is only at the disposal of those who have all of that time. To me, that's not right. And, well, and while
1: I go ahead, Rick. Oh well, no, I was going to say it's to to you know to I guess kind of counter that not really. It, it makes sense. I mean, I, I did the whole I actually went from being a relatively casual to consistent player, you know, I mean like I wasn't hardcore. I was on the very low end of hardcore playing wow, and I was we were making progression, we were making progression very slowly. And the only reason I even want to rate to be dead honest with you is cuz I want to see the dialogues and the end bosses. I want to I want to see that shit. You know, that's content to me that I'm paying my 15 bucks a month for. Now, it took me cuz I was being impatient to join a very hardcore progression guild, and I did put in, like, you know, four or five days a week was spent—well, four days, actually, was spent just nose to the grindstone in uh, in Ulduar. And we finally—you know, we down Yogg relatively quickly, actually, and that's how I got to see it. And at that point, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm fucking done. I don't want anything more to do with this. I haven't tried uh, TOC. So, I mean, if, if you hate the living crap out of it, Joe, that's one thing. I was still reviewing it when I was still playing while WoW before it came out. I was like, this seems, in theory, like such a garbage raid. You know, there's very—the lore is awesome, but, you know, it's it seems very restricted for one. And for two, you're kind of just like sitting there with your thumb up your ass, and you don't have any trash, and you don't really have much going on, and then they throw a noob at you again. What the—whatever. Anyway— Um, To get back to the point at hand, they are – Jeff Kaplan did say that he is really – that they're building a cutscene like they did with the Wrathgate event in patch 3.3. It's going to be coming out during the whole ice cream phase thing. um, Ice cream. Ice crown (laughs) phase thing. And uh, we're we're probably – it's going to be like – Two three weeks in between bosses being accessible because it's it's playing through the whole concept of you know the armies of you know good you know the armies of us players and of the NPCs are kind of like fighting through barricades within Ice Crown to kind of like make it so that you can enter through and progress onto the next bosses. So it's going to be probably February ish before we get to see Arthas, and I don't know what that cutscene is going to be, but Blizzard will not put a cutscene as big as like the Wrathgate one was and not let everybody see it.
3: You and know and I mean? that's, yeah. that's a really good point too and that's something that they've talked about as well because that's something that they've been hearing as one of their biggest complaints is that you know you have to raid in order to see content you have to raid in order to see the lore um uh, they are really 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 trying to bridge the gap um without cheapening the raids for the hardcore players um they're trying to make it so that you, everybody can see what's going on uh cut scenes, npc dialogue um quests different areas opening up at different progression levels things like that and i think they're while they're not always been the greatest at it, it is a hard line to walk through when you need to make sure that the content is, is fun enough for people that play the game to play the game. And then you have to make sure that there's enough there for the Lord Junkies like us without having to feel like we're being left out. So I think that we'll see a little bit more of it now. I think they're, they're a little more cognizant of what's going on there.
1: I think one decision that they made that was actually pretty smart, I hope that they cued in on it, I really do, was, um, and it may have just been accidental, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way, but like you were just saying, they have to incentivize raiding and say, okay, we're going to give you raiders something more than just, you know, the gear, because we don't want it to be only about the gear, so for Ulduar in particular, they have Algalon, right, you know, and he's, that whole event, There's a very cool story, very cool cutscene, you know, not cutscene, but, like, in-game scene and event and NPC chatter, and then you go and you turn in the thing to Ronan and freaking Dalaran, the sky changes. It's a big thing that the only people who can experience that are those hardcore raiders that actually get to down Algalon, the Observer, you know, through Ulduar, which is all hard mode stuff. But, I don't know, uh, the more that I look at it, the way that Blizzard is doing, and I find this is why I kind of mentioned even in the show notes there was this really ironic... um, I was an advocate for – I was pissed that they were dubbing down, you know, wow, they were making it easier and more accessible. I was kind of like, you know, yeah, fuck that. Let's, This is ridiculous. You know, make the game more challenging, blah, blah, blah. And I did that, and I realized how fucking retarded that argument is because ultimately what they are doing is they're not dumbing down – wow, they're making it more, you know, for for people who are currently playing, that are casual, they're making it more accessible for folks like me, people in your guild that are just coming back now, it's like, you just came back to the game, you've got a lot of catching up to do to get with your friends again, now we're making it so that you can catch up, and they're still, I mean, I see some of the hardcore people out there in this amazing ass gear, and I'm thinking, dude, I'm never gonna get that, you know, and that should be enough in most cases for people. But, but the you gear know.
2: isn't all that it's, it is. It's the, I mean the, it's not just about the 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 highest tier gear. If that's all it was, then they could have an instance wherein you could have somebody who just wants to experience the lore and be able to see what they've read about in books, kind of thing. And but just don't give them the you know, tier 10 gear or whatever. And then the guys who are willing to do the, you know, the raids every week and shit. Yeah, give them the best gear, but at least make it so that everybody can experience the content without having to stay up till two in the morning. Again, like Sammy was saying, he has to get up at six. Brother, I hear you. So do I. I got to get up and I got work. I'm not staying up those days. And what's funny is that I did that. Those days of staying up late and playing forever to hit the the, the highest level content, and whatever. I did it. Way back five years ago. I don't want to do it anymore. So find a way of allowing people to experience all of the content, all of the, uh, the lore and be able to love it. I mean, they pride themselves on their lore. Well, let us see it. I don't give a rat's ass about the gear because I know having played this game for five years, that gear don't mean jack shit. Next expansion comes out. You're going to be replacing your purples and your oranges with greens. So I don't care. Just
1: let me get to the actual content and see the lore. Well, I, I was I was reading now while you were saying that just to confirm because I wanted to not, you know, talk about something without knowing what the fuck I was talking about. If you only want lore, um, the three five-man dungeons that are coming out, and we can all agree, we can all agree that a five-man dungeon is not necessarily the most hardcore and inaccessible thing out there. You don't have to basically dedicate forever and a day to do a normal five-man dungeon. You don't even need that many people to do it. That's where I believe all the story is being pumped into Because everything I've read and everything that I've seen on the PTR of Ice Crown the Raid The only, I guess, lore figure that you see in Ice Crown the Raid is Cindergosa, um, which is that big-ass dragon from the opening cinematic And the one that you see in your loading screen And that's something that was just canon brought in the last second You know, I mean, that wasn't, you know, Saffron used to be the big lore guy for, for you know, undead dragons This Cindergosa thing is a totally different story altogether That was added in probably just for this expansion Um, and Arthas, and yeah, you get to see Sarfang, you know, Deathbringer Sarfang, which is his son brought back and whatnot, but, you know, and obviously, yeah, spoilers, but it's been on the internet for how many fucking months now. Um, you see him again, okay, and that's pretty cool too, but, you know, the Horde and the Alliance, we've known already that the tensions are getting kind of berserk between both of them, so a gunship battle between the Horde and the Alliance, that's pretty cool, but at the same time, it's not like this you know crazy lore thing for me it the five-man dungeons you go through you cannot access the two other ones until you have to go through a certain um progression a certain order when you get to the very end and you get to the halls of reflection that's the one that has to do with all your, your that's where i had my orgasm when i saw it was you get up to the room and you're there with ice crown and uther and fucking frostborn is up there and all this crazy shit and he reveals a lot of spoilerific info for you
3: And I think that's the other thing, too, is a lot of these, the the, the time constraint is is disappearing, Um, raids are being able to be done quicker and all the good stuff there. But I mean, ultimately, we're not going to really know how it's going to play out for the masses until the patch drops tomorrow. But, you know, that's my opinion.
2: Very true. Moving on from there, uh, there was some interesting news this week as well with um, Mythos actually making a comeback, being resurrected by Red Banna. It was interesting to see some of the the, the conversations about that in regards to um, the new company taking it on and getting very ready to bring it out and whatnot. And it was especially interesting because we had the opportunity to interview the boys that created it. And Chip, all of them. How, what's that i said shit all of them even though yeah every last one of them (laughs) so they're talking about like it was ready to go it was in beta and it was ready and when you're reading this how they're saying how they're resurrecting it and how it was you know not much done on it kind of is the opinion you're getting and here we were talking to the boys saying uh no it was pretty much done so it's kind of interesting i despite all that it's you gotta wonder a how are the boys feeling about this? The runic boys, how are they feeling seeing somebody else take their game, take credit for their game, and put it out finally? And do you think that the fact that they got torchlight out and that it has been such a huge success, if it's made it any easier?
3: My I, I was a little upset too. I was in the closed beta for Mythos. Um I, I Got to play the game I got to feel how Almost complete it was And it was ready for release There was I mean there was just A few little bugs They had to get worked out It was done But to see somebody talk about it like it was, it was so far from completion bothers me. And it bothers me that that Redbanna is is talking about it like they had to do so much work to get this ready. No, when when Flagship folded, they had a complete game on their laps. It was just a matter of waiting long enough to put it out. And I mean, and I'm not saying that they didn't, they didn't have to put infrastructure or anything in there. But uh, from a networking standpoint, as somebody who's done it, and, and I'm pretty sure you can back me on this, Roger, it's a lot easier to build a, uh, a server cluster than it is to design a game, in my opinion opinion i mean i can i can slap a a series of supercomputers together and a bunch of routers and say fuck yeah i got a game server and and toss it up there versus you know the hours and hours and weeks and months and years that these boys put into the game that was beautiful and well crafted and ready to go well that's the thing too like what you're touching on just to to
2: interrupt just for a second is is this is very very important the fact is well both of us are techs it's a joke to do any kind of excuse me, technical work in terms of building servers, building stuff like that, because we're not reinventing the wheel here. This is, it's it's a known process. You do this, this leads to this, you do this, and there you go, you have yourself a server. It's, you can hire anybody right out of a fresh networking course that will be able to do this for you. You cannot hire anybody, just anybody, however, to create something and to balance it and to work on, all of the intricacies of like the questing, the the balancing the classes, the races, everything like that. So it's it's a much, much different approach to take something that they created the creative aspect of it, that that the game aspect,
3: and just having to do the back end technical side. To me, that is a joke. And and there's one other thing that really pissed me off about it. Like, if you read through the link and they start talking about the classes that are available and the races that are available, it's one-third of what was available in the closed beta before. It is literally one-third of what they had already available. So they're already metering out what was already there. So they're not making anything new. They're just kind of limiting you. And, you know, after a certain point in time, they're probably going to release, oh, here's the expansion, here's another three races and a series of classes to play. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me as well because it's like, I don't know, and, and it's not just because I'm a fanboy, but it's because I've I've had – we've talked about this before. When you have an intellectual property, when you have something that you pour yourself into and to see it just ripped apart and taken and, and made into something that you had no intention of it to be. I mean honestly, if I were these boys, I mean yeah, they have they have their successes right now, but it would hurt. It would seriously really make me angry. Even if I wouldn't say anything, it would piss me off. <laughs>
2: you drink your sorrows away. So moving on
1: are, from that, what's uh, that? Go ahead. No, I was just kind of wondering. Um, they, n- they have nobody's interviewed them at all about this. No, nobody's talked to to the guys that we talked to to the previous flagship folks. i think like, nobody at all. Actually,
2: I, I kind of send up some questions. I'm just holding tight now, and if I do get the questions answered, I will be posting them on the site. So just holding okay. tight, see what they have to say. I'm, okay, I'm actually
3: cool. curious if they weren't under uh, as part of their di- di- dissolvement, if they weren't part of an NDA. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's I what I'm thinking it because
3: they discussed part of it with us, but they didn't really discuss much else with it. They talked about their involvement with it. They haven't talked about anything past it. You know what I mean? No, Not but they talked about a- how they
2: felt and stuff. So, but it'll be interesting to hear. I, like I said, I haven't heard back from them and I may very well not, but if so, you'll be seeing it on the site. I am very curious how they feel, especially considering the success of Torchlight. I mean, Torchlight has not been a light, a small success. It's amazing how well it has done. And I cannot imagine they thought it it would be as big as it is. So that's gonna really change your perspective on the past is a past, Let it go. Yeah, somebody else has got it, but we're moving on. It's possible. that is how they feel. Who knows. And with that moving on from there. Also in the news, we had some Guild Wars two, a new trailer that came out with Miss Felicia Day is uh, voicing one of the characters, which I thought was fairly cool too. They're obviously going all out with this, as we kind of had an idea that they would. And the um, the voice acting in that trailer, which Good. is going to be the characters once they are out, uh, the backstory is absolutely fantastic. I mean, we got people working on spectacular Spider-Man, obviously Felicia Felicia Day, uh, people working on Wolverine and the X-Men comic and stuff like that. Like these Over are alchemists. Yeah, this is very freaking cool. The trailer is very good. I haven't hidden my love of this game in terms of wanting to try it out, even though NCSoft is associated with it, because again, it is still an Arena Net game. And I did enjoy Guild Wars so very much that I am looking forward to this sequel a lot.
0: Hmm...
1: <laughs> that, that's that no I'm saying that, that's the question that I posed to you earlier. Remember I asked you flat out. I go, listen, i I saw this trailer. it ex- excited the crap out of me. It looks great, you know what I mean, but then this is typical. okay, wait a minute, little red flag in my head, NC soft and gaming, and I never played Guild Wars one. Should I? check out Guild Wars 1 should I try Guild Wars because everybody kept telling me including you you had such great experiences with it it's like an MMO that you can officially play by yourself with bots with like yes. the one out that you get yeah. so like is it an experience that I can get like right out of the box play it not have to invest a bajillion hours into it and then get into Guild Wars 2 and enjoy that Well, I mean, you will still invest a certain amount of time. That goes without saying.
2: Is it something that you should try? Especially considering how we've been joking around about you being broke as a hobo right now. You can get this game very cheap. And it is, in my opinion, if you've not played through Guild Wars, the original, not not necessarily all of it, but at minimum Nightfall expansion. You owe it to yourself to play this game. It is an absolutely fantastic, fantastic game. And you can do everything by yourself. So you can do... If you pick up Nightfall and the, because um, the, you need the original as well, you don't need to pick up um, the, the first expansion nor Eyes of the North, the last one. I actually won't even speak of Eyes of the North because I haven't played it. It's one of those games where I thought seriously of picking it up and then something else came up and I never did play it. This The first expansion, somebody helped me out in the, the chat room. The first expansion, I can't remember the name, is crap point blank crap it is not worth getting there was some serious problems with it not the least of which was the location and the maze that it was it was really not fun however nightfall again you owe it to yourself to play nightfall it's a fantastic fantastic game and the original guild wars as well is really quite a good game it's fun to play it still looks va- factions. Thank you very much, Sammy. The first expansion is called Factions. Don't you don't need to pick it up, um, okay. but the original is still fun to play through as well as um, um, Nightfall is is almost a must play. They're cheap games to get. There you will put in quite a few hours. You're getting your money's worth, especially now the prices. Well, they had it on Steam on sale over the uh, Black Friday weekend. Um. It's really not a lot. You're getting a ton of money for what you're getting and the amount of hours that you're playing. It's it's You're not going to get anything that's going to help you with your Guild Wars 2 account. However, there will be... Um, well, story-wise? It, it, well, story-wise, it'll obviously help you, and okay. you're going to get essentially a, a, a memorial room kind of thing that you'll be able to access, but it's not like it's going to help you in terms of progression wise in the second one but it does it is a fantastic game it's definitely worth playing cool. now with that before we actually go any further with the discussion it is eight twenty-six, and i have a feeling that joe has to take off immediately am i right
3: well that is true i do have to go yeah.
2: boys Okay, not a problem. Um, Joe's got his raid, so he's going to take off. We're going to stick around for a little bit here, um, and so we can keep going. We do have a couple of other topics we're going to touch on, and then we're going to take off a little early. So, yeah, definitely check out... The Guild Wars one, if you have not yet checked it out, it's worth playing. It is a very, very fun game. The mechanics are cool. The playthrough is cool. It is, of course, not without its faults, which is why a lot of people left Guild Wars to go to WoW when it came out. That being said, a lot of people were staunchly against WoW and really liked WoW, or sorry, uh, Guild Wars and everything it stood for. So it's up to you to decide. E- even now, the game looks phenomenal this many years later it looks incredible
1: cool man I, in that case I'm definitely gonna have to give it a shot it's something I always kind of looked at when I was walking down in the game store I like, look at a seat on a shelf I'm like man that looks really yeah okay let me not get it you know but I don't know I, I kind of got your uh, your approval here I'll, I'll I'll probably end up taking a look at it to be honest. Just make sure to start
2: with Nightfall Because in that case Then you get your your um, your team that will help you And so you can have your it's, It kind of reminds me to a certain degree Of the Dragon Age Origins Where you have your team and you control everybody So it is mm-hmm. kind of cool So anyways moving on from there Oh look at it We got Ginny in the house Ginny how's it going uh, moving crap. on from there we've got uh, a little bit of ion news as well too i don't know if you saw this video the gms are really going up against the gold spammers right now and it's very interesting because they're being creative with it as well um i don't know if you saw the videos the, the, the gms are actually blowing up gold spammers they're using in-game cinema or like uh, uh animations to blow up and turn their um, gold gold bot spammers into like volcanoes and shit and blowing
1: them up i don't know if you got to see it no no man. i'm clicking through it now are you kidding me there oh, it's hilarious <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. so again we got
2: to see some videos of the gms having a little bit of fun with talking about destroying the, the spammers and this and that but this is the first time we actually get to see them where they're blowing them up it's one of those like, yeah i wish they could fish fix so many things in the game i really wish they could fix it because i would love to play this game again the things that i enjoyed about it i really did enjoy a lot the shit that i didn't like though broke the game for me so that's the thing if they could fix the shit I'd be there. I'd put up with a lot of shit even, but not as much as what they were asking us to put up with.
1: Yeah, it's it kind of left a, a very bad taste in my mouth. I may need to spend a little bit more time before I consider even going back, even if they did, you know, and up fix a lot of the problems that was there. It's just right now, content wise, like I, I can get over some of the problems with it with the force grouping and all that business, but content wise it just you know, it, it doesn't have enough on the table. There doesn't have enough to offer me right now. You know, with, well, with the, the thing, too, to is game time.
2: when they're talking about the, they're they're starting to talk a little bit more about the vision, the vision of the future, and they're talking about how the, um, they're obviously not giving any kind of time frames in f- terms of when this is going to be. They're not talking about whether or not this will be just in, like, patches along the way or full-blown expansions which you shouldn't have to pay for a full blown expansion for what they're talking about. That should have been in the game from day one. That still doesn't fix shit, you know? So there's a lot of things here, a lot of question marks and it's too bad because again, the game had so much potential. The game world had so much potential and yet they're, they're fucking it up. They're crapping all over what could be a fantastic game. So moving on from there too, there was some guild or some uh,
1: Bioshock Bioshock.
2: news you wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel kind of bad because I. I did want to share this with, uh, with Joe because I know that he's a, a staunch of you – know, he's just a big, big Bioshock fan like I am. But um as, as we're getting closer to the February 9th, 2010 is the release date. As we're getting closer to the release date for Bioshock 2, I've kind of noticed this trend that within two months and Steam did the same thing. Hell, we were driving – me and my wife were driving back from seeing um, – uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra and like going down the Florida Turnpike, I see this huge billboard on the side of the expressway for Left 4 Dead 2, and I thought that's that's the most awesome thing I've ever seen in my life. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, 2K Games and I'm here losing my shit over this. I'm telling my wife about it, and when she comes back, I'm gonna force her to watch the website. They have redone the Bioshock 2 website, so you go to Bioshock the game. Uh, you know, dot com, and that they, they've got a lot more fill and a lot less frill. You know, they have a lot more content on the site and the videos on the site and the really creepy like flash stuff. It is really, really, really cool. And they had this one interview in particular on Gamespot, which I I put up on my website now. You can go to the Gamespot site and see it yourself there. You know, whatever you want to do, and um, it's direct interview with the project lead. And the guy actually tells you you the story. He tells you the lore of it. He goes, this is why it's hard to make a sequel because we have to, you know, deal with people who have been playing the game 15 times in a row, you know, consecutively. And then we have to deal with people that are new to the title. And the story of Bioshock 2 is just, it's phenomenal. You know, if the first one was very general because, you know, it was kind of mystery. You had your plot twist here and there, yeah, whatever. The second one is there's a lot going on. But the center of it is just you playing as this prototype big daddy that just back, you know, you're the first big daddy that was ever made. So you're more human. And it's like just the way they animated the motions. You got to see this video. It, it, it really like it pulls you in. And then you're being you're being contacted by, you know, the little messages and one of your little sister, like the first little sister who has a very deep connection with some really crazy shit happening in the story. And you're overlying initial goal is to find her and you're fighting through you know a decrepit falling apart rapture to try and get to her so you can get out of rapture i don't really know how big daddy should be getting out of rapture but it's (laughs) it's really cool man because apparently um this first little sister, your little sister, is like the messiah. All the splicers are worshiping her, worshiping her as like a goddess. And there's this crazy cult religion spawned up of this big giant rapture family with all the splicers. It's just, it's really, really fucking wild, man. I'm very, very impressed. And if you go to the website, um, remember, I think you remember me and Joe were talking about the little sisters creeping us out. And the music of, of the game was just something phenomenal. Yeah. Um, There's a little flash little sister doll you know like those little pull string dolls you pull the string and it talks Uh and she says the most terrifying fucking phrases that I've I've heard it's just very 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 creepy they they're doing a great job with the writing in this one this one's going to be something that we're going to talk a lot about in February well
2: obviously you will yeah actually i went to the website today after you were posting it on your site you were talking about the different uh, videos that were up i made sure to go and check and it is of course for everybody too it's bioshockgame.com i'm gonna have all of the links in the show notes as well but yeah i know i was checking out the new videos as well um the only thing that i'm not sure about is the multiplayer because i don't think they should have tossed that in it doesn't seem to fit with the game kind of thing i can see how yeah it's probably going to be a little bit of fun but i don't know It just it it to me it takes away from it um i think it's much more of a singular experience than it is a bouncing and everybody kind of pick a, a somebody whether it's the crazy leader or whatever and play together so i i was a little disappointed with that well with
1: that the being- well no, i was gonna say the multiplayer i kind of agree with you a little bit it does it doesn't it's not. I don't feel like it takes away. Um, I feel like it just doesn't really add anything because it they take the setting like your your multiplayer happens in a span of time right when the civil war you know enraptured before you know Bioshock One like when that civil war is is really flared up because Jack and in, in the original Bioshock One you, know, you come in right as the civil war pretty much is you know f- dwindling just a little bit you know there's a lull in the fighting obviously and then all the shit happens Bioshock One but like right there at that new years is when the multiplayer takes place and the multiplayer is going to it's going to be very very from a gameplay perspective that's going to be very wicked that's going to be very very cool In Left 4 Dead 2, you have a lot more story-driven content than you did in Left 4 Dead 1. There's a certain continuity to the levels even though you cannot play them through all in one sitting. You do have multiple campaigns, but they all follow the same four characters through a progressing storyline, starting in Savannah, Georgia and ultimately ending with your goal crossing a bridge and trying to reach a military evacuation site in Louisiana. There's a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor as is to be expected from Valve games, especially in the Left 4 Dead franchise. But ultimately you're looking at a very rich and amazing gaming experience from a story perspective and campaign perspective. Though we all know that the main allure for Left 4 Dead 2 and the Left 4 Dead franchise is the multiplayer. But one of the main mechanics that have changed that makes me feel good about the game is the fact that you actually have multiple tools at your disposal. If you see different weapons on the ground, baseball bats, anything can pretty much be used as a melee weapon. As well, You have to understand that there's a very heavy military presence and a CDC type presence around. So you're going to see a lot of different infected coming at you. You will see riot police coming at you with bulletproof armor on the front where the only vulnerability that they have is either extreme blunt trauma by repeated melees or being hit from behind. You have folks that are from the uh, CDC or CEDA, C-E-D-A, that are in hazmat suits that are pretty much immune to all boomer spit and fire damage. They can just walk right through fire. You have construction workers with headphones on that basically start running at you, and once they see you, nothing will deter them. Pipe bombs, gunfire, nothing at all will make them pull their attention away. You have mud men when you're walking through the bayou and whatnot that are people who live out in the shanties in the bayous of Louisiana and, and whatnot. And they, um, they crawl on all four. When they do hit you, eventually they cover you in mud and they obscure your screen tremendously. The fact that you can also have a female model boomer or a male model boomer is something very cool to me. I like the fact that it's actually showing a little bit of diversity with all the different people that have become infected and evolved into these special infected. As well, all the infected appear to have been modeled as if they were from the South. You will have the same types of special infected and the same types of common infected, but they will look differently. They will look localized, like they belong in Savannah, Georgia, and Mississippi, and Louisiana, and all the places that you're going to be cruising around in. They've improved on the multiplayer in this game tremendously. There's multiple different versions of the game that you can try. Realism mode is quite possibly my most favorite. Realism mode is something for the hardcore player, it's something for the player who needs a a dramatic challenge and wants to really get involved in the whole story. I recommend uh, Realism mode for the campaign if you're with a couple of veteran friends who have played Left 4 Dead 1 to death, as I have, because this truly does simulate the zombie apocalypse. You hit a zombie in the arm, he can be running at you with no arms and just stumps and still chasing you down, knocking you over, and biting you. Headshots are pretty much the only way to survive in realism mode. As well, when you get a zombie horde rushing at you, you get a massive zombie horde rushing at you. It is thousands upon thousands of people, as would be expected in a zombie apocalypse. In realism mode, obviously, you take realistic damage. If you think that getting punched in the face and bitten on the arm and then your back clawed open by a monster is still gonna let you run around, you thought wrong you can get knocked down incapacitated as a survivor in realism mode very very easily adrenaline shots pain pills first aid kits those are a little bit less frequent but they make a world of difference and they must be used typically in normal mode difficulty or in the typical normal gameplay setting you can get by without using most of these or just popping a few pain pills and you'll be fine in realism mode that's not necessarily the case they do not have the immediate effects that would typically be experienced when you're playing the game normally. The melee weapons happen to be my favorite part of Left 4 Dead 2. I like the fact that the primary weapons that they brought in are more varied now. You have a combat shotgun that reloads faster, but has a very wide spray but very low damage by consideration. You have a tactical shotgun that is the almost exact iteration of the first uh, first shotgun. You have a chrome-plated shotgun, which is a normal pump action. You have the classic shotgun from Left 4 Dead 1. You have different kinds of assault rifles. You have different kinds of sniper rifles. You have different kinds of pistols. Uh, you have different kinds of ammunition packs. You can drop down incendiary and explosive ammunition, but those take up the place of your med pack slot. You have med packs, or you have a defib kit to bring back a fallen survivor from the dead. You have different kinds of... Uh, Ballistic projectile weapons and explosives you have your typical pipe bomb you have your typical Molotov cocktail But on top of that you also have boomer mile that you can throw a vial of boomer vomit essentially It's in a jar It's you know wrapped up in a hazmat thing collected by the CDC And you can throw that which is a lot of fun because you throw it and hit with a tank and the undead zombies will basically behave the way that they would with a boomer spit. They will come and they will start attacking like crazy. Even the special infected will start attacking the tank. So it's a great way to get some distraction and run away from a tank instead of straight up killing them. You have laser sights you can put on your weapons as well. You go to a gun store at one point in the game and you check all this stuff out. You are essentially raiding and looting all of the military presence that has thus evacuated. So ultimately with Left 4 Dead 2, in conclusion, you are looking at a much more in-depth experience from a story perspective you're looking at a much more complete experience a much more balanced experience from a uh multiplayer perspective and ultimately they just they made the game better in just about every single way as far as the gameplay goes from the new special infected that are essentially designed to counter anything that a survivor team can throw at you to the multiple different weapons and tools specifically tools and utility that you're going to be getting as a survivors to help you get through the level and through the encounter as well they have basically locked down any chance of the previous cheating in the game where you could sit in a corner during a crescendo event and kind of like wait out the game and hope that the scripting just stopped throwing zombies at you and you were surviving with nothing but handguns because obviously you ran out of ammo that doesn't happen now ultimately you're going to become overwhelmed there are a lot of scenarios where you have to run over some long distance or long track of land in order to shut down an alarm or you have to turn off a loud noise or you basically just have to escape. Hell, the very final mission, the very final campaign and act has you crossing a bridge that is currently being bombed by a bunch of F-16s and you have to make it through tanks, you have to make it through cars, pitfalls, massive holes in the ground, endless amounts of zombies and special infected as well as the military bombing you while they know very well that they have one last space and one last helicopter for your team to get out I hope that you are out there playing the game and please by all means we have a for the lore group on steam you can check the show notes as well or just search steam for for the lore and you will join our group more than happy to have you more than happy to game together uh you can contact myself at spooner god on the steam client i am there as well and so is joe and roger thank you very much
2: My opinion of game development changed after our interview with Max Schaefer and Travis Baltry of Runic Games. I've spoken often about my writing and feeling that it's what I would love to be doing full time. Now this has crossed over into gaming development, as I've seen how I'd be able to apply what I've learned as a writer to that trade, and it is all about telling a story. I'd always thought that my lack of formal education in game design would hold me back, however it's clear now that what matters is not a piece of paper, but rather the skill and enthusiasm that you can bring to a project. This uh, opinion was further solidified after interviewing bill roper who started with blizzard many years ago not because he'd studied game design but rather because of his music and with that start it was his passion to make a contribution that opened doors and projects for him and now look where he is and everything that he's accomplished with that in mind i started thinking about how i would go about designing a game as a creative endeavor there cannot be only one way to do this i mean certainly there are tricks of the trades of which i'm not privy to but by simple virtue of the fact that it's a creative process, there cannot be a wrong way. You can speak to a dozen different writers, and they may each have a different way of writing their books. The end result, however, is always a book. I've my own way of writing novels, and being that I've been a gamer my entire life, having spent a good many of my years in pixelated worlds, I've got that background to assist me in developing a game. The secret will be in balancing the two so that the story doesn't suffer at the hands of gameplay, and vice versa. For the purpose of this example, I'm going to work within the wonderful game world of Torchlight. When Runic Games announced that they were creating an MMO based on Torchlight, my imagination went ballistic. I started seeing possibilities within every encounter and soon I was developing my own encounters within my mind. I wish to make it very clear that I have absolutely no affiliation with runic games and that these examples are merely provided by me as a means of giving a summary of how I would create an MMO, in terms of overall concepts, not minute detail. Uh, Think of these feature segments as you would a wall full of index cards at a studio, full of ideas, sketches, and stories. They're far from refined, however, within may still be a few specks of gold. For this segment, I'm going to talk about the first step necessary when building a world in which your story will take place. It may not seem obvious to all, but the fact of the matter is, you need a world first. The nature of that world will then dictate its inhabitants. It's all well and good to decide that you'd like to have five different races in your game. However, if you haven't even decided the structure of your world, then you're working backwards. The world comes first evolution then dictates the landscape and finally the people that said you can't be so rigid in your world design that you're not willing to alter it as you're later working on other elements planets change the structure of them is constantly changing meteors have changed the very face of ours and sure it was billions of years ago but in designing your game world that billions of years can occur as fast as you can sketch it out now once we've nailed our world design We can then proceed to further refine the landscape and its people from there we'll get races and once we have that we can begin some backstory for each zone which will lead potentially to classes and abilities and finally we flesh out the backstories which leads to questing instances and bosses but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get back to the plan, okay? Now, normally when working on a story, I would have come up with a theme that I want for the piece beforehand, and this would then impact upon the design that I'd use for the world. However, Runic Games has taken care of that for me. I just have to look at Torchlight for inspiration. Sure, I could have changed the timeline, say make the MMO 50, 100, maybe even a couple of hundred years into Torchlight's future, but I like where they're currently at. They're just enough advancement that exploration is possible, but not enough that all corners of the world would have yet been discovered. If anything, I'd put it maybe 10 years later, but not much more. Now I can hear some of you thinking, what the hell does this have to do with world design? Quite simply, a lot. When creating your world, you have to consider how the inhabitants, meaning anybody who's playing the game, will get around. There isn't much point in designing a gorgeous planet full of thousands of islands if the people in the game are not yet advanced enough to have invented long distance travel by sea. So with pencils and paper at the ready I sat down with my youngest to sketch out some ideas. Collaboration at this stage is far more important than you can imagine, and if you have the option of tapping into a 12 year old's imagination, I highly encourage you to do so. We spend a lot of time discussing the core of Torchlight, which is the mine full of Ember. Now you find out that it's the richest vein of Ember ever found. However, when considering that the people in the game are not necessarily the most advanced, they may not have discovered everything there is to know about Ember yet. Much like our own ancestors who believed the world was flat, what if Torchlight's people simply had not explored and discovered enough of the world to see that ember actually appears in many places? Much like minerals which we have on Earth that are on a lot of the different continents, what if ember is far more common than they'd originally thought? We get to see how there are different variations of Ember in Torchlight, and that fits perfectly with the world design that I envision. My son and I started thinking about how this would then affect the layout of our continents. We came up with a rating system for determining the strength of the Ember in chosen locations, which would then affect the level of poisoning or corruption, which would affect the zone, thereby making it more difficult. A creature or NPC living in a zone with a level 1 Ember source would not be corrupted as badly as one within a level 5. 5 zone as such level 1 mobs would not have near the power of level 5 mobs which could be designed as elites or as bosses. We got ahead of ourselves a little here. However, we needed this system in order to determine where the hotspots would be located in order to ensure a smooth leveling experience. A level 1 zone would allow players to level to 20 easily and would probably hold at least one instance for that level. Alternatively, level 5 zones would be more for level 50s and would be exceptionally difficult. Think endgame. We could have gone with a different scheme here, however, not having a clue what Runa Games is planned for their MMO, we decided on a level cap of 50. So you'd have an ember rating of 1, which would allow players to level from 1 to 19, level 2 would be up to 20 to 29, level 3 rating would be player levels from 30 to 39, 4 from 40 to 49, and then your 5 would be player level 50. We didn't want the game to end at 50. And so we came up with a design within the world that we created, wherein once you hit 50 and proceeded with a series of quests, and yes, we were getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we needed to for the design of the planet. Once you reached 50 and proceeded down that level of quests, it actually would open up an entire zone for you, which would consist of several different level five experiences. Now, the magnitude of Ember's rating would be displayed on the map in a manner we currently use here for earthquakes with a a circular target with multiple rings. This would allow you to get an idea of how far-reaching the corruption may be from the source, as well as how powerful it is. During this discussion, we also talked about how we'd like to see the map displayed. Sure, this is not really world design, but rather the manner in which the information gets disseminated to the player, but it's still important to think about. Initially, I thought that it'd be interesting if an image of the entire world came up whenever you pulled up your map, perhaps as seen through an old telescope, and then from there the player would be able to spin the planet and select the continent and then the zone. The problem with that is that it feels far too advanced for that world, so we had to go back to the concept of maps. We agreed that the idea of old maps would fit in that world and that time, and I had an idea that I'd been toying with for some time. What if when you pull out your map using M, the screen that comes up shows an old desk with an open drawer and within the drawer are rolled up maps, areas that you've explored would be represented by maps, which you would then be able to click upon doing so the map would be flattened upon the desk in the space on the desk that would represent its place on the world. The map would be inked on very thin paper, think onion skin paper, and by clicking upon other rolled up maps, they too would be flattened on the desk surface, allowing you to see the exposed map and get a larger sense of the entire continent. This technique would give you more of a sense of pride as you explore the world and gather more maps. My son got the idea that if a tack board was placed over the desk with a known world map, this would enhance the experience of exploring new continents could be sketched in and selectable and then by clicking certain continents those maps would then appear on the desk. Once we'd come up with this concept designing the world suddenly became a lot more fun. We sketched out continents much like they would appear in the game overlaying the maps to get a sense of what the overall world would look like. We haven't yet decided on a name for our planet, but that'll come with time. For now, we're busy deciding where continents should reside on this planet, where amber hotspots will occur, and how this will affect the landscape, which is what we'll discuss on the next segment.
1: Babe, love you too. Aww, love you too, Snookums. Oh, we love you too, Misty. Hey, fuck you guys, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to hear your daddy being a bad man.
1: Two year old's vocabulary is expanding like you wouldn't believe, brother.
2: Both of you, useless piece of wave crap and shit is what you two are. Excuse
3: me?
1: Oh, listen to them all (laughs) getting pissy
2: here. I'm fine. Excuse he's triple snapping his fingers dude. Snap, snap, snap.
1: Oh, no, I'm and...
3: channeling I am channeling the black woman in me right now, man. I'm about to break my oh. foot off in your ass.
1: Oh, you're doing yeah, the Shaniqua yeah. well, hold my weave, you know, neck jiggle thing? Yup. <laughs> I would <laughs> oh, pay no, money it. to see that. Oh I would no, I uh, to see that on a webcam.
3: Fucking prissy Frenchman.
2: All I heard was Roger blah blah blah. Salty drinks. <laughs> Hoogs, why do you even come here?
3: Seriously, why do you even come? I Freaking love asshole.
1: Hoogs. Hoogs is the best that is.
3: Hoogs is my boy. You
2: have no clue. Freaking asshole with a brogue, that's all he is. Connery, if Connery had a stick up his ass, that's
1: who he is. Oh look! My Joseph mother. Perez! You get to be my buddy. Dude, there's one person here from Buffalo State, and it's a woman kissing what appears to be a vibrator.
3: Yes, that would be Stephanie. She's
1: a special yeah, flower. Okay, all right. Are and that's not a kind of podcast now.
3: It's not a. It's not a vibrator. They're mini donuts, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> is she licking it or kissing it, though? That'll. She's 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 kissing the package of mini donuts, and and of course Rick's immediate response is must be poured. Roger.
1: Roger hold on a second gonna... t- just, just go take a look at it go take a look at that <laughs> picture well I, I wanna I wanna thank you Roger because because of you now I'm saying Z instead of fucking zero <laughs> how can you confuse Z with zero yeah how could I I wonder Zed and Z I might understand but Z and zero well normally I would just say ne- never mind. you know just forget it just shut up just you know what <laughs> you're just you're shut ruining, up you're ruining just my shut up
2: the moment bit. is no. gone
3: now you yeah, had, I had to, to interject my humor with logic, you bastard. You're, you're kind of acting like he came into your house and like stole your wife. He's ruining my life bit by bit. <laughs> Do I really care about a woman licking a Twinkie?
1: No, no. It's not. Apparently, it's a pack of mini donuts. That <laughs> Twinkie donut. What the?
2: So she's licking a Confec-
1: confectionary treat. Confectionary treat. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a
2: picture of her licking a Slurpee too?
1: Probably. Open up your Skype conversation, you dullard. It's right there.
3: <laughs> he called you a dullard. Oh,
1: fuck. <laughs> For crying out loud, why do I have to... Oh, yes. oh that's awesome.
0: Uh,
2: this is th- that important. He even uploaded it to his freaking <laughs> server. You gotta see this, dude. I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, yeah, I've been to sites and all, but I've never
1: seen this. Listen, it's, it's, it's a matter of principle between me and Joe right now. It's like Latin pride. You wouldn't understand. I wouldn't understand that you're turned on by a chick kissing the donuts.
2: <laughs> and that well, you have to send Roger me a picture that's like, what is this, 50 by 50?
1: I mean, that's exactly you can't what even... it is. It's exactly what it looks like on the site. Tell me. And it's first purple, impression. too. Like, really? First fucking impression of that image. What do you think?
2: Ugh. <sighs> Well, if it is a like, if it is a dildo, it's like wrapped in something. Like there's cellophane around it. Really, <laughs> not many people choose to wrap their. What is that for cleanliness? It makes it easier to clean afterwards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Think sex don't, to a whole other level. We don't have to lick this clean afterwards. Just take the cellophane off. My wife thinks it's for sharing with friends or regifting. <laughs>
2: a little boat on top. Ah, sure oh, man. Lead.
1: You know, somehow we got to talk to Roger and get music on this quiet shit because you people in the chat room are probably bored out of your mind, ain't you? <laughs> that's like the Cuban way to play dominoes. You can ask Claren. Claren's my buddy Ray. He's in the chat room. It's like there's only one way to play dominoes properly, and that's with a cigar sticking out of the side of your mouth, and then you just slam the piece as hard as physically fucking possible. Like, you just hulk that shit down on top of the table and scream out, yo. White people can't play dominoes properly. No,
3: they can't. They can't. They don't understand it. When I get all excited when I got the train going, and they're just like, What are, are you talking about? Dominoes? So excited? Yeah, we're talking about our poor childhoods, man.
1: A poor childhood. I played poor... dominoes when I was a
2: kid, too. <laughs> you don't have to be Hispanic to play dominoes.
1: Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I need is another game to fucking play right
2: now. Yeah, you're bitching about not having, being able to do games. No, and no, he I offers mean, you when It's like, Well, oh, I don't want that nice. shit. Thanks. Like,
3: I'm, I'm trying, it's
1: I'm trying not to like I can play that.
3: Okay, I'm sorry. Fuck you. Fuck you with my kindness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being nice. You can make a lot of good money selling semen and, and blood.
2: Just Nobody same. wants to buy his. I mean, one look at him, okay. his file, and they're going to be... Fu- I don't want my kid to look like that. My yeah, no, God, I'd hope for nice better.
0: Semen.
1: I could only give it away Jesus. for free and... Well, wait a minute. Uh, she's not here. make that joke.
2: <laughs> his boys don't exactly swim that fast either. They're like uh, the ones on the little freaking lifeboats with the little air things around their arms. There's water <laughs> wings. <be> His <laughs> semen's got water
1: wings. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the worst fucking method. <laughs> Are you goddamn serious? It's funny because you're making fun of my boys unable to swim and I'm fucking Cuban. You
0: know, that,
1: that's Kiki, I fun. want you to draw a picture of that. I want a picture of Rick Seaman with little water wings on it. Kiki, why two? do you constantly post naked pictures of women constantly? Because she's awesome.
2: I was gonna say because she freaking rocks.
1: <laughs> he was. You wanted. You were all like, I even read the whole Twitter thing. I knew what was gonna happen. It's like Kiki, I want you to draw me with spider with Batman or Batman know, with, his with his arm around, arm around me like a buddy. Me yeah, like she draws them humping you know? me
2: from behind, chewing on my the back of my head. Man, <laughs>
1: we get to go at it.
2: Woo Have fun. That's hot. Lube up, boys. Lube up. <coughs> yeah, I I like the um
1: fucking bobblehead.
2: Uh, this. <laughs>
1: You're putting that shit up there on the bottom of the screen. This is going to be in the outtakes, I know, but it's like the delay just kicks it now, and all I see is a spock bobblehead, and you're like fucking with it with your finger. I'm like, what the hell are you doing?
2: I didn't Jeez. see you in the chat room. I didn't know you were there.
1: She's fucking spaz. Yeah, I'm still here. You is, that what, see, is, is this what happened, you know, with your little talking hands, like a squeezing your nipples and play with the Mr. Spock thing? Is that how you ridicule me without opening uh, me? Uh, that how it that Joe's not oh, around? Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> I didn't think you were there. Wow, that was funny. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> oh, look, he's crying. His cheeks are all puffy uh, and red.
2: Uh, <laughs> okay, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, back to... <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Back to> BioShock. <laughs> Although, hold on.
1: I also have a Vault Boy fondling the bobblehead doll. I didn't fondle. No, you no kissed. Fondle. You kissed your Spock bobblehead doll. It's clean. Oh yeah, you just you know you're you're fishing for penis jokes, aren't you? Just a little. Get uh-huh. Just a little. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Ha! Ha! Ha!